Hello, I'm Liz Jones. If you read my diary in the Mail on Sunday's You magazine, then you'll know me and my life pretty well. But if you've always wanted to know more, this is the place for you. Welcome to Liz Jones's Diary, the podcast. I'll be taking you behind the scenes of this week's column before digging back into the archives to find some of the most shocking and hilarious stories from the last 20 years. I'll be doing all this with the help of my assistant, friend and confidant, Nick. Hello. Well, the summer's gone by, Nick. It has. Love Island has finished. I'm devastated. I I'm actually, fa- I actually found it quite boring. This series. Did you? Yeah. Oh, well, see, I got to love some of the characters. You know, I started off and I didn't think it was all that, but I got to really love some of the characters. Who did you love? I loved Faye. I loved Faye and Teddy. But didn't you think her lips were peculiar? Well, yeah, but and she's so funny when she said she would she, she would frown if she could, but she couldn't because of the Botox. I mean, she was hilarious. But I thought she was so genuine. She had tantrums. She got upset. She was funny. She was very real. She didn't put on an act. She was who she was. I loved her. I wanted her to win. But sort of by the end of it, I got tired, especially when the friends and family came in. I got tired of seeing the girls' buttocks. It's just like I really wanted them to put some clothes on. There's one thing with being quite proud of your body and confident and everything, but I just don't think it, they need to see their buttocks all the time. I thought the, the bikinis got skimpier and skimpier and skimpier. There was quite a lot of cheese grater things going on, wasn't there? I wasn't asked to write a piece about the final of Love Island, but I was reading all the pieces that ran the next morning. So in The Telegraph and The Guardian and Unheard by very intelligent women. And because they're part of the chattering classes and because they have a platform, I feel that these commentators who write about Love Island and who dismiss it as hateful and lowest common denominator and the people have got no conversation they're obsessed with their love affairs and they've only known each other five minutes my feeling is that those women who comment on it haven't been where the contestants have been because when you go to oxbridge and when you're very privileged and when you work in the media you haven't been where those women have been and i wanted to say there was so much criticism of their faces and Faye's lips and all their breasts and even very beautiful girls like Mary, who you wouldn't think would have to do anything to herself, had filler and her lips done and everything. And she was just the most beautiful girl in there, I thought. Yeah, I thought so. And I'm talking about Love Island from not a member of the chattering classes, because I'm not a member of the chattering classes. Everyone in journalism hates me and they always have and they always will. No one ever supports me, no one ever follows me no one ever promotes what I'm doing they all hate me but I've been where their girls have been and I know that deciding to do something to yourself is a very 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 big decision and it's not something 
that you do lightly. And I remember there was a big blow up, wasn't there, where Hugo said, I don't like fake women. And so Faye was going, but you don't know my story. I was so flat chested. My parents bought me a boob job when I turned 18. And so I think it's very easy to look down your nose at women who wear a lot of makeup or obsessed with clothes or they like shoes or they like Love Island. It's very easy. And what makes you morally superior to them or to me? What makes you morally superior? I find it actually quite upsetting that she's so classist, that she's so snobby. And she says, and I quote, the word like punctuates every sentence like a clanging bell. It's just the way they talk. It's it's regional, isn't it? You know, people in the north often say like. Well, I, actually, I find lots of posh, incredibly privileged girls annoying. Absolutely. I find it annoying. They're so overconfident. They don't feel they need to wear makeup. I find it annoying that they go travelling in India wow. and have no awareness of the local people or the local animals. All they want to do is have a good time. They rely on their parents for their privilege. They're all connected. Nasty. It's just nasty. I mean, she says, earlier in the series, one contestant, a trainee doctor, no less, claimed that with a powerful telescope, you could see dinosaurs on Earth from Mars. So she's obviously saying that to put that girl down and make that girl sound stupid. What girl? Uh, the doctor that was in there. Um, but obviously she doesn't mean that. But obviously she doesn't mean It's obviously taken completely out of context. And it's not, you know, it's just not nice to try and make people think the girl's stupid. She wasn't stupid. She was an intelligent, bright, pretty girl. And she says it's credited with sparking a surge in demand for fillers, Botox, boo jobs and butt lifts. I mean, come on. I don't watch Love Island and think, oh, I must have a butt lift. I mean, come on. We're... She, it's putting the viewers down. The viewers aren't that stupid and susceptible. I don't believe that for a second. We watch it. We might think so-and-so looks great. It doesn't mean I'm going to go off and have my boobs hiked up. I mean, it's a consideration, to be fair. No, if you, if you have plastic surgery, there are loads more influences going on that lead you to that decision. I was reading in Unheard, um, and it was about the democratisation of beauty... And all these girls now think it's their right to look beautiful. But what's wrong with everyone wanting to look beautiful? Do do, do, do you know what I mean? It's like, why is that wrong? Should girls who work in shops all just look ugly and not look after themselves and not go to the gym and not wear makeup? Yeah, I don't really understand why we're demonising it. I really don't. We all want to be the best we can be. And that might be in different ways. For some of us, it might be we want to... No, but if you're an incredibly privileged young woman whose parents have paid for you to go to university and they've paid for your accommodation and they've paid for your car and they've paid for your driving lessons and they've got connections to get you a job, they're not trying to be the best that they can be. They think they are the best. Those privileged girls who go to Oxbridge and who travel for a year and get a shoe in a job and they get an internship because you can only get an internship if your parents have got money, they already think they're the best. They don't even think they have to try. No, I don't find self-entitlement an attractive quality. I remember having one conversation with one girl and she said to me, and I was telling her what I did, and she said, oh, I want to work in TV politics 
but I don't want to be abused online like Laura Coonsberg. And I was like, have you any idea how hard it is to get a job in politics, on television and to be on camera. Do you know how hard that is? And we all get abused online. I'm not being funny. If, if you stack shelves in boots, someone bugger's going to abuse you online because people are horrible. Oh, dear. Oh, well, I loved it. I loved Love Island. Boobs hanging out the bottom of the cozies, butts, all of it. I loved it. So sorry to interrupt, Liz, but we have a very important announcement that might just interest your listeners. There's another Mail on Sunday podcast and it could change your life. It's called Medical Minefield. Yes, where we talk about the ethical dilemmas at the heart of the health stories that matter the most. And that's with me, Barney Kalman, the Mail on Sunday's health editor. And me, Eve Simmons, the deputy health editor. Find us at mailplus.co.uk. So I'm going to do the archive now, which is from my memoir. And I was 29 years old. And that's from Girly Slightly too, isn't it? Yeah. So if I was 29 years old, the year would have been 1987, right? Oh, I was 17. I was 29 years old and I was commuting back and forth from Essex to work at the Sunday Times. I was worrying about my breasts. At work, I got to the point where I could not walk across the editorial floor because I was worried men were looking at my wobbly udders. I could only manage to walk across the floor if I held great big sheaves of proofs against me or an encyclopaedia or the Times World Atlas. So I went to see my GP. Yes, they are rather big, the doctor said. There didn't seem to be a lot of information taken down during the appointment. She took no history. She didn't ask about medication or my anorexia. She simply booked me an appointment with a private surgeon. The due day came. I took a week off work but told no one of my plans. I parked my beetle and went inside. I was shown to a narrow room where I sat, waiting. I was terrified, but I knew I had to do it. Dieting made no difference. I had to cut them off. The surgeon came in and I took my top off. My goodness, he said, they are huge. They reached almost to my waist. I could not look at them. I stared straight ahead. He uncorked a felt-tip pen and started to draw on my breast big red lines. You know, we have to remove the nipple here and move it up to here. I nodded. I was hugely embarrassed. And when we sew the nipples back on, they might not take. They might turn black. This is the risk we take. You will also have scars here and here. You will also... Lose all sensation in your breasts and nipples. You will never be able to breastfeed. I'd never ever thought I would have children. I'd barely had a period or a viable boyfriend. And so breastfeeding was something I knew I'd never be able to do, like the butterfly stroke or parallel skiing. He drew more lines up under the curve of each breast. After a fitful night, I was woken the next morning, given a sedative and walked down to the operating theatre. I remember when I woke up, I felt nauseous. I was covered in bandages. I told the nurse I was going to be sick and she handed me a kidney dish. She wouldn't even hold back my hair. I thought about my mum. Why had I done this to myself? But I was pleased with the flatness of my chest and when the surgeon came to check on my progress and unravelled the blood-soaked bandages, show me my tiny breasts. I loved them. 
Ah, the nipples are pink, he said, tapping them gently, which means they've taken. I was given instructions not to lift anything or to sleep on my front for six months. I would have to come back to have the stitches removed. They were great big black darning stitches. It all looked very crude. Do you have a bra, the nurse asked me, but I didn't have one. I had no idea what size to buy. So I went home with bandages beneath my white T-shirt. I got to the cottage and went upstairs. For the very first time in years and years, I looked at my torso in the mirror. Blood had seeped through the T-shirt, but I was amazed at my profile. I was as flat as a board. I look so much younger, I said to my reflection. I was not yet 30. Yeah, that's heartbreaking, isn't it, really? But that shows the secretiveness, the money, the pain. But for me, making that decision, there was no other option. No one talked to me. No one gave me therapy. The GP didn't say, well, why don't you do this or why don't you do that? Or, you know, it's very drastic. So even though there were professionals around me, no one gave me advice or spoke to me. I felt completely on my own. But did you feel resolute? That was, you were happy with your decision. That was what you wanted. I didn't have a choice. No, I didn't like then having scars, which meant I could never take my top off. Even when I was married, I never took my T-shirt off. I don't have any sensation in my breasts. But I felt I had no alternative. I was very, when I was working at the Sunday Times, I very, very much looked down on all the pretty women who worked there because there were lots of pretty women who worked there. And I remember there was one woman who had very big breasts and she'd sit on the editor's desk and she'd put her breasts out and he'd look at her and he'd give her a great job. And I was determined never to use my femininity to get me an assignment or a job or anything. The only way I got ahead was I was always first in and I was last out and I tried the hardest. But there's a balance, isn't there? Because I have got big boobs and I'm very comfortable with them. I wear low-cut tops. I've, you know, when I was in an office, I wore sort of tight shirts. and I never used anything to get anywhere, you know. I, I worked But how really do you hard. know that you, people didn't see you and think, oh, well, she's got big breasts, I'm going to give her a promotion? Or uh, If that was the case, then I wasted working really long hours and really, really hard, and I'm a bit peed off if I could have got it so easy. Um, but I have seen women use their breasts to get a have, no, I have. I, and, and I've seen men equally. I used to work with someone who was very flirty with the female bosses and, and went out for drinks and sort of with, with the guys just to sort of groom them. It sort of goes both ways. It's not just women that do it. Men do it too. You know, I've, I've been appalled at what I've seen. But I never, I never saw men use their sexuality oh, on a newspaper I, I to get have. ahead because all the bosses were men. So what's the point? I know. We see we had a lot of female bosses, and and I, I've definitely seen it. But also with their male bosses, not using their sexuality. Would you not feel but... sorry for me that I felt I had to do that to myself? I, I think it's a real shame. I think it's a real shame. I mean, my experience was when I had my tummy tuck. I've never regretted it. I'm not ashamed of my scar. I mean, I've got a scar from you know, hip to hip. Um, I've got no sensation in my stomach, but I love it. I mean, I, I couldn't live with this baggy belly. And for me, it was something I felt I had to do. I was, you know, thrilled about it. 
but it, there was no angst with it for me. Yes, it was painful, it was difficult, and it's not sometimes nice that I don't like my stomach touch because I can't feel it or it feels strange. But I don't care. I mean, I'd happily, if I if I was a size 10, you know, or, or comfortable with my body, I'd happily wear a bikini and show my scar. It doesn't bother me. So I think it affects people so differently, doesn't it? Because you're very conscious of your scars. Yeah, well, why wouldn't yeah. I be? But yeah. well, I'm not, you know. I mean, I would wear a bikini and show that scar. I've had a, a lump removed from my breast, so I've got quite a nasty scar down the side of my breast. Which was so many years ago. It wasn't. It wasn't very neat. It wasn't. You know. It's quite dented and horrible. But it doesn't bother me. Anyone seeing it? So I think it's interesting how it affects people in different ways of you know of what they're left with. I think it would be great if you'd had your breast reduction and then could be really confident and not worry about hiding yourself. I, that's what I think would have been great. Because well, I've always found that men have commented on them and made nasty remarks. Oh, see, I've, I, I, I can honestly say I've never had that, you know, even with the big scar across my stomach, and I've never had that. I, I think that's an awful thing to do, that anyone would say such a thing. Yeah. I think it's cruel, I think. And I, I don't, don't see know why matters. men feel they have a right to comment on how you look, but they don't take any care about themselves. They don't try and make themselves look more attractive. It's also part of your story, isn't it? So if you're a woman that's had children, you've got stretch marks. If you're a woman that's got cellulite, if you've lost a lot of weight and you've got sort of like baggy skin, if you've got scars from operations, it is all part of what's made you you. It's all part of your individuality and your story. So I don't think we should ever be ashamed of anything on our bodies. I just don't. Yeah, it's quite easy to say that, though, isn't it? Yeah, and I, I suppose it is, but I, I say it from having nasty big scars and having had surgery and having baggy skin. Yeah, but and... you're weirdly confident. No, I'm not confident. I don't think I'm attractive. I don't. Th- I'm fully aware of all my flaws, you know, and if I'm going out for the evening, I worry about what to wear and how to cover certain bits up, like everybody else. I'm, I'm not one of these body positive, I'm going to go up, on a bikini on Instagram, people, at all. No chance in hell unless you paid me a lot of money, which no one's going to do. But I also am not going to apologise for having surgery or for working really, really, really hard to lose a lot of weight, which I'm really proud of, of, of the achievement, and then worry about a bit of baggy skin. I'm just not going to be made to feel like that. And also, what does it do? It doesn't help. This is what we've got. You know, this is the body we've got. This is the situation we've got. If we're miserable about it, but it's that's funny a long when life. I had when I had plastic surgery and I was twenty nine. There weren't programs like Love Island. There wasn't Instagram. I decided it all by myself. Yeah. Yeah. I was influenced by fashion magazines, but I didn't know anyone else who'd done anything no. to themselves. Which is why I think this is rubbish. You know, that Love Island is going to create all these people running off to, to get surgery. If anything, no. I think it would put people off because I think it's the more natural girls who seem to win. Yeah. And, I mean, look at Lucinda. She hadn't done anything to herself. She was absolutely beautiful. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. I think, if anything, I think watching Love Island will slightly put people off. I do think it's bloody rude, though, to, to refer to the girls in a nasty way. I mean, you know, this woman, I think she said something about Faye's guppy lips. I think that's disgusting. What? Guppy lips, like fish, aren't you? I just think Oh, Faye's guppy lips. Yeah, I think it's a horrible thing to say. Absolutely horrible, because she was... She might have had a lot of work physically, but she was the most real person in there, I thought. She was the most 
honest, down-to-earth, reactive. Well, at least she had some personality. And honest, she had loads of personality. I mean, all the girls were beautiful. I thought Kaz was absolutely beautiful. But she was very natural, I don't know she? what was going on with Kaz's hair and that bonnet she wore. Well, um, she wears it, doesn't she, to not um, mess her hair up at night. Is that really her hair? Well, I think it's probably extensions. But I thought she was beautiful. I thought she was stunning. And she was nice as well. I liked Kaz. She was nice. I liked Toby. If you'd like to get in touch, then go to lizjonesgoddess.com or tweet me at lizjonesgoddess. So what have you been up to this week now? Well, I have been um, doing lots of charity stuff. Today is Thursday, we're recording, and it is National Dog Day. So I'm going to talk about all the charity stuff that we've been doing for the last couple of weeks. Um, I was contacted by a lovely lady called Sue Thompson, who is a UK contact for Animal Rescue in Kefalonia. And they were in sort of dire straits. COVID's really hit them out there and they're not getting any donations. They've not got any food for the animals. It's really been awful. And they had a pledge from Holly Hedge Rescue, who are amazing, the lovely Pauline that runs that, had offered them a transit van full of food. Why are they called Holly Hedge? I know, maybe they've got lots of Holly Hedges at the rescue. Don't know. Um, So they had a pledge of of a transit van full of food and drugs and toys and dog beds, but they couldn't get it to Kefalonia. So they contacted us for help. And I've spent three weeks trying to see if we could get the food over for them. And we contacted all the airlines, private people with planes. And we got to the last chance hotel. And Sue found that Chewy had started running flights to Kefalonia. So last chance, it was the only option left. And I contacted them and they have been amazing and they are Tui they have been I want to give a huge shout out for them because there was no buggering about you know they answered me straight away and said yes we'll help with this what do you need they are incredible so they are flying the food leaving for Greece Sunday the 29th so the amazing volunteers at Holly Hedge Rescue are driving it from Bristol to Birmingham and they've got it all sort of organized and they've got so much stuff going over they've been so generous because obviously they're struggling as well they've been so generous and so that's just like amazing so a big a big thank you to Tui and a big thank you to Holly Hedge Rescue. So are they going to film it arriving yeah. and being given to the animals? I think they're, they're going to take lots of pictures and lots of stuff so we're going to put that all on Twitter so everyone can see what's happening and keep up to date with that. I've also been looking at another rescue um, called Cairo Animal Rescue Team, a cart, and they are just having the most awful time. And if you remember, we did a, an auction at Christmas for Chris Stray Rescue, who had had the, all their dog kennels and all their housing destroyed by floods, and we did amazing with that. We um, raised enough to rebuild all the housing, get new housing. We paid the vets' bill. We paid the feed bill that she owed and she really, really did, you know, we did fantastically thanks to everybody who was so generous. So we're going to try and pull it out of the hat again for cart. They're in Egypt. They've got um, 800 plus animals and with COVID and people abandoning their pets and having to take in more, they are literally out of food. They are feeding their animals every other day and only at half rations. So this is 
absolute crisis. This is absolutely critical. So will you put how to bid for the items on Twitter? I'm currently asking people for donations. So if you're listening to this and you've got a business and you've got something you could donate to the auction, I will be so, so grateful if you could contact me. And you can contact me through Lizzie's website and let me know and we will get it up there. It will be amazing. If you are on Twitter, can you ret- Can you follow me and Liz and retweet and hopefully bid in the auction? Next week, I will be telling you when to bid, how to bid and what we've got. We will also have everything on Liz's website. I will put the information for Cairo Animal Rescue on Liz's website so it will be available when you hear this. And I'll also put a PayPal link if you'd like to make a donation. It's such a worthy charity. They do. They feed strays. They're taking in all the pets that people are abandoning. They've got dogs, cats, horses, donkeys, and they are just in crisis. So I would really, really appreciate it if if you could support this in any way you can. That would be amazing. Don't you find it incredible that the government has given like £120 million to support zoos and aquariums in this country? Zoos and aquariums. But we're not supporting charities. We're not supporting charities and we're not doing enough. And, and so I, why are we helping zoos and aquariums and people who run falconry centres but we're not helping charities. And farmers. I'm sick to death of my tax money going to farmers. I'm a vegan. I don't want to support farmers. I don't want to support that industry. But on a positive note, I'm really excited because guess what I'm doing on Sunday? Jumping out on plane? No, that is on the 11th of September and you can still sponsor me for Chris Astro Rescue for that. But no, I'm going, I'm taking mummy to see Tom Jones. Mummy Beb is going to Tom it's Jones. It's not unusual Usual to be loved by anyone. So I bought this for her birthday two years ago. And of course, with COVID, we never got there. And it's been rearranged three times. And to be fair, my mum kept saying she's a bit worried he's going to die before, he, before the concert. I'm like, no, mum, you can't say that. So, but we were, in fact, Tom Jones was hilarious. He was on Lorraine and he said, they can't keep postponing it or I won't be capable. So love him, absolutely love him. So really excited about that. We're only four rows back, so I'm a bit concerned no. we are. So Is it outside? It's in Darlington Arena. So yeah, but yeah, is it outside? It's open air, yeah. So I'm, I'm hoping it doesn't rain and I'm hoping I can control my mother from running up on the stage and throwing her knickers at him. Because apparently that's what they used to do when they used to do concerts years and years ago. They used to get loads of knickers thrown on the stage. So that's my mum. That's my mum's. That's a very old story. It might be an old story, but my mum's still possibly going to do that. I'm just worrying about controlling my mum. Are they going to be giant Bridget Jones pants? Like, well, you could lasso him with them, couldn't you? If you've got Bridget Jones, you could sort of like lob him up onto the stage, lasso him, and pull him down to your chair. I wouldn't fancy his chances if she got her hands on him, I've got to be honest. No, not your mum. No, I wouldn't fancy his chances. (laughs) My mum's a bit of a goer. (laughs) Shall I tell you about my column this Sunday? Do it. Do it. My friend Helen has been to stay. Oh, lovely Helen. She brought with her champagne, vegan candles, vegan chocolate and really nice coffee. Unlike other visitors, she offered to take my dogs out when I had a dizzy spell. Lovely, Instead of refusing to go on a dog walk as, and I quote, that looks like a slope. (laughs) I didn't do anything in preparation for her visit, bar by half a pint of milk. 
I didn't buy any gin. I didn't buy any tonic. I didn't buy an unwaxed lemon. She paid for lunch. She washed her hands after using the bathroom. <gasps> That's bliss. bliss. She doesn't smoke. Bliss. She kept saying how beautiful everything is rather than saying I live, and I quote, in the arse end of Richmond. Road. Road. She picked up dog bowls rather than stepping over them. Told she mustn't come before 5pm as I was working. She didn't arrive red-faced and eager two minutes past, but turned up at 8pm. She didn't look at my new pink smeg fridge and say, mine is bigger. It might be bigger, but it smells. And it's not pink. I didn't have to put on makeup. Out for dinner with two friends, Helen made intelligent conversation instead of sitting there like a lump, jealous not to have me to herself. Crucially, she didn't once switch on an overhead light or say the underfloor heating is too hot. She didn't storm off after eating a curry that took me two hours to prepare. Best of all, I didn't have to have sex with her. <laughs> Best of all. <laughs> Tomorrow, I'm off on a mini break to the Lake District for three days. I'm taking the three collies and going with my friend who's celebrating her 60th. But if we were in Monaco, my friend wouldn't say it's too hilly. No. She wouldn't order foie gras just to wind me up. Sackable affair. I'm quite sure that when we leave our little rented house, she won't empty the fridge of food, but will leave a generous tip. She won't make me be her IT consultant for two days. She won't speed in my car. She won't leave coins on surfaces. She won't call me a typist. Best of all, she won't want birthday sex. This is becoming a theme, isn't it? The words best of all, they won't want sex. is becoming a theme. But it's getting quite doubtful I will ever have sex again. Given my ex-ex said, I don't think we should see each other. I was stood up by a man on our second date and a Michael Fassbender lookalike blocked me on Twitter and WhatsApp seconds after we'd arranged to meet in a Peak District pub. Hashtag Tarzan. He must have Wikipedia'd me. Well, but I'm quite sure right. I won't miss sex, and here's why. Go, go on, do it. It's a list. It's a list. Go on, do it. One. It's your list. Myla thongs are not meant to be stretched, <laughs> nor thrown in a corner in a ball like a dead spider. Well, I better not wear one then if they're not meant to be stretched. I spend the entire time during sex worrying about the location of my knickers and how soon I will be able to stop what we're doing and pop them in the laundry basket. Mm, Two, I suffer from vertigo and have found the suggestion, can we do it while I'm sitting up and don't make any sudden movements, goes down like a lead balloon. Three, I always get cystitis. Four, he always licks off my expensive face cream. I don't get that. Why are they licking your... Why are they all these men Don't lick your my face? face cream. Don't lick it. But I don't have men licking my face. I don't get it. If I want that, I'll have a puppy. Ugh, yuck. Five. Men are of the mistaken belief you should be grateful they've just had sex with you. One ex-boyfriend, Trevor, he of the high-waisted trousers, used to ask me to say thank you after sex. <laughs> I'm not being funny. It's probably thank you is finished and you can go to sleep. I was always afraid to tell him then, but I've no such compunction now. I have better orgasms when you're not even in the room. Yeah, definitely. Six. 
I take my hearing aids out for sex, which means I can't always hear instructions. What? Eh? Pardon? (laughs) Which means I'm always on edge in case they ask me to do something and I get the wrong end of the stick. Literally. Literally. (laughs) You probably wouldn't want to do it anyway. It's a good way of ignoring it. So I'm quite glad, really, I'm never going to have sex again because it's just another thing to do, isn't it? And it's really annoying and it makes you hot and it's boring and you just want it over with and I worry about my knickers. You're pretty much having sex with the wrong men, aren't you? If that's your if that's your view of sex, you're pretty much no, I think sex it's overrated. I think women pretend to like it because it's oh I've got a boyfriend, oh I've got someone to go to the cinema with. I just think most women don't like it and they hate it and men are useless at it. <laughs> I concur. <laughs> totally useless. <laughs> You can read this week's diary in full at the Man on Sunday's You magazine. I've had a couple of tweets about Michael Fassbender Man. Do you want to hear them? Yes, go on. Darling, this is from someone in Canada. <laughs> okay. I think you've been catfished. A person sends you photos of other more attractive people they claim to be themselves. Catfishers want the thrill of arousing interest in someone who would never give them a second glance. To guard against this, you can do a reverse Google image search. I don't know what that is. Oh, you can. There's a website that you can you can upload the image and then it will search for other images that are the same as that that's on different accounts. Oh, because you can see it's not that man. You yeah, can yeah. see he's taken the photo from somewhere yeah, else. Yeah, yeah, you can see that actually his name's George Benson or whatever and, and he's got... F- five children and a wife, you know, and lives in Australia. But you can't see the real person who's been catfishing yet. No, no, it's just, it's just basically it matches images that that on the internet. makes me wonder, why would someone bother doing that? Why would someone bother saying, I think you're really attractive, let's meet in the Peak District, we'll sort it out, and, and then they block you. What is the point of that? Well, hopefully it's because he's so ashamed at sending you a picture emerging from the reeds, hashtag Tarzan, because he just looked a twit. He's hopefully ashamed of that and decided to crawl away because it was an inappropriate thing to do. But why would people bother catfishing? Well, I think some catfishing is is to try and get money out of people. Um, you know, they'll then say that they've got starving children they need help with or or they've lost their job. Or I think a lot of it's to do with money. That clearly wasn't because he didn't speak to you after good night. I just think it was like, you're well known, could he get a date with you if he wanted? I reckon. But another woman tweeted and she said that she thinks Michael Fassbender's a man. She thinks it's a jealous woman trying to wind me up. Could be one of my rivals. Isn't interesting. Could they be bothered? And another one said it's probably because he's married and he got cold feet. Ah, possible. Think of all the women out there, married women, whose partners are currently twitching other women and DMing other women. Oh, Unbelievable. Unbelievable. I've got an ex that regularly rears his ugly head and messages me and I'm like, actually, go say that to your wife. It's inappropriate to say that to me. How would your wife feel if you, she knew you said that? Go away. But Do why you know don't I mean? you tell her? I don't know her. But I, I just like, it's just inappropriate. Bugger off. 
What about some other letters, Nick, that weren't on Twitter? Well, we had we had quite a few on uh, we had quite a few on Twitter, and one of one one guy called him hashtag Peak District Man, which I thought was funny. Peak District Peak Man. Peak District Man. I've been calling him hashtag Tarzan because of the way he merged out the reads. So we've had some quite funny comments on Twitter, and we've also had some letters. So we had dear Liz and Nick. I don't know what's wrong with the male population. I can only think they're intimidated by your success. Congratulations, by the way. It was long overdue. I love listening to your podcast and read your diary every week. This man in the reads obviously had something missing. That's why he blocked you. There is someone out there for you, Liz. Don't be in too much of a hurry. I find dogs more intelligent than the average man and usually better company and more affectionate. I think we concur with that, don't we? That was Leslie Jeffries. Yeah, give me a dog any time. I'd much rather have a staffy puppy. But you see, Missy, who's my latest colleague, who spent three years in an outside kennel, she's incontinent. She's a bit like me, really. I say to Missy, because she's quite embarrassed about being incontinent, and I say to her, it comes to all of us, Missy. It does come to all of us. I think I've become incontinent, you know. Yeah, I can't cough very much, and if I laugh I can't go out very far from the house. (laughs) It's a good job I'm a miserable cow, because if I laugh too much, it's dangerous. We've also got Josephine, and she says, which I think is really funny, I've realised why I'm not interested in men anymore. I'm in my 60s, and men my age look like my granddad looked. I just can't cope. I would feel like a pervert. It's the white stubble on the flushed cheeks. See, that's why I don't the white date stubble? on the flushed cheeks. It's why I don't date men my age. They look like my dad. It's just wrong. So she says, and there's always a cho- chance of a cloying odour. I've mentioned the pubescent boobs, a cloying odour. I've I've mentioned the pubescent boobs in a previous email. In today's mail, do read the blind date column. The chap on the blind date says it all. Oh, my God, he wore white patent shoes. The poor woman must have been mortified and he also had gold chains. Can you imagine if a guy turned up on a date in white patent shoes and gold chains? It'd be like being back in Leighton. I think I just find men so arrogant. I went out with a man once and he he wouldn't wear deodorant. He didn't know that he smelt. You got in the car and he actually smelt. Bye-bye. But he didn't believe in deodorant. And he didn't believe in dishwashers either. How can you not believe in a dishwasher? No, that's probably because he was looking for a wife that would do the dishwashing for him. How could you be anti-dishwashers? Because because those are the people that want other people to do it for them. Unless it's you getting your hands in the greasy hot water, you don't care, do you? But I, you know, my dear departed brother Nick was very like that. He was very arrogant and he used to tell me all sorts of things about my car, but he'd never passed his test. Yeah. Very, very, very arrogant. I do love a bit of mansplaining by someone that knows nothing about what they're talking about. I love that. Love mansplaining. And he was always putting down my career as well, when I, while I think of it. Jealousy. See, we're back on to Leslie's email. It's all jealousy. But there's nothing to be jealous of. Everyone hates me. All my colleagues hate me. All the other columnists on other newspapers hate me. Yeah, but most... There's no solidarity. But people hate them as well. It's not just people hating you. People hate them as well. Everyone's going to have people that like them and don't like them. You've also got people that adore you. No, but I'm talking about the chattering classes. I'm not talking about readers. Yeah, but you're competition, aren't you? It's a, it's a compliment they hate you. You're not going to love the competition, are you? Well, no one hates you. Uh, no, but I'm, I'm not a competition to anyone. Who am I competition to? Who the hell am I competition to? Seriously. 
Why would anyone hate me? I'm completely, like, benign. Completely. Well, that's it from us this week. If you enjoyed listening to Liz Jones's Diary, the podcast, why not visit mailplus.co.uk forward slash subscribe to get access to all our podcasts, videos, opinion pieces and more. I'll be back next Sunday, but for now, I'm Liz Jones. And I'm Nick. Goodbye. Goodbye.